0: Welcome to episode two of the Gen X Movie Show. We are today we are presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Today's episode will be on the micro-budgeted, Amazon-distributed film, science fiction film, *The Vast of Night*. Number please. This WOTW Radio in Cayuga, New Mexico, and this is the news for the hour. What would like to tell us about yourself? I don't know. Well, aren't you like some big science girl? Tell me about science. Hey, but it's Faye. I'm the sound came from the board. I interrupted your radio show. What is sound? Like. W.O.T.W. We got a sound we'd like to play that seems to be bouncing around the valley tonight. Yes, I have a story that might be helpful. I can tell you what's going on. The sound we heard out in the desert. It was coming from thousands of feet higher than anything could fly. They've come here before. They've liked this place. They always have. The end, we may have something that needs to be called. What? What if you call it? What if you call Hey! Who's that? It's average. Stop smiling. Well, what's he doing here? He's helping me. Stop smiling. Get hey, in. Yeah, it's out of town. Come on, come on, come on. Hey, come on. Something's up there, now. There's something talking. something in the sky. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Gen X Movie Show. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton, part of the CSG Podcast Network. Uh, before I get started on this Gen X Movie Show on the vast of night, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake & in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coorsfield, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, it, look, not everyone is comfortable with going out, uh, right now, even though Blanchard is open in the dairy block with limited, uh, capacity in outdoor seating, uh, they understand that you may not want to do that. So basically they've got, uh, an option for you, which is virtual wine tastings, uh, where they send you a bunch of their product, uh, for a price. You reserve a slot and they have, uh, a, a Zoom call where you come and you just, Basically, experience what it's like in the comfort of your own home if you're not comfortable with going out. It's uh, it's kind of a good way to experience the whole uh, uh, wine tasting uh, aspect without having to go out. But if you want to go out, they're available with limited capacity. Go and reserve yourself a slot at their at their establishment in the Dairy Block. Uh, they've got Pinot which is their specialty, that from their vineyards in uh, Northern California. They've got a partnership with a Grand Junction wine called uh, Storm Cellars, which is a Riesling. It's really good. Um, they also got a great Cabernet, which is my personal favorite, but they got more than that. It's great. One of my favorite places to go in Denver, one of my favorite places to get wine in Denver. Once again, they are located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coorsfield, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, they are on Facebook and Instagram under Fan Blanchard Family Wines. When you talk to them, tell them that Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sends you there. Well the the movie The Vast of Night is uh very interesting and my exp- own personal experience with it has, was uh something that I kind of stumbled on. I didn't really have any idea uh what it was about. There was no real build up to this thing coming out. This was um um based on my research on this, this is a movie that had actually had been uh filmed all the way back in 2016. Uh, was edited and self-financed by uh, a gentleman named Andrew Patterson who um, financed it by recording commercials and spots for the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, on a budget of about $700,000, which, if you think about it, $700,000 in today's day and age is not anything, particularly to do a movie. Cameras are expensive. Um, Lighting is really expensive. Actors are expensive. It's, It's... Something that is really hard to do on a shoestring, and the Vast of Night. I just had to, I had no idea. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and really, what got me into it was the thumbnail that I saw on Amazon. It was this nice blue, uh, blue lighted um, kind of thumbnail with the Vast of Night at the bottom with two faces. Uh, and this light coming down from uh, the heavens, essentially. And it was uh, illuminating this radio station. And it was really clever. And I, I was like, oh, man, people don't really do good movie posters slash um, things like that anymore. They, they just, it, it, since the, about the mid-90s, they've become horribly Photoshopped. Um, not worth a damn kind of things, and this was at, at the very least creatively done, and it actually told me a lot about the movie. So my curiosity took over, and I was uh, with some family, and uh, we watched the movie. And I will say this: that while this movie does not is not without its troubles, which is probably indicative of being a quote micro budgeted film. Uh, this was. I think, one of the best movies I saw this year. Um, And it's interesting how it kind of just floated around for so long. Apparently, it had its uh, debut at a festival, uh, Slamdance Festival, in January of 2019, over a year ago. Uh, While I probably, what you would say is that this thing was just searching for a distributor. It basically is a period piece set in the late fifties um and it has a very cold war feel about it um and those who are not live around or were are not alive or back then or not allow or um old enough to remember um cold War kind of inflecting everything um uh, but from about nineteen the late forties until the late eighties you had everything that had a Cold War feel to it. And it really hit its peak in the 50s and a little bit of the 60s and in the 80s. It just kind of had a resurgence. and uh, There's great videos about the Cold War if you want to know anything about them. There, there's one over, oversimplified Cold War that I highly recommend on YouTube. But this movie does have that period to it. It's uh, set in a fictional town of Cayuga, uh, Cuyoga, Cuyoga. Cayuga, Cayuga, excuse me. God, I'm sorry about that. I slaughtered that. Uh, New Mexico. And of course, we all know what is featured in New Mexico. is Area 51. Um, this is titularly a, quote, um, uh, science fiction film based about uh, extraterrestrials. But this really is so much more than that because, I, like I said, the movie has its problems. But it, it is a... It is essentially a movie featuring two people. Um, it's a movie featuring a girl named Faye and a kid who's running a radio program at night named Everett during a night when there's this big basketball game going on in this small town. And, of course, everyone is at the basketball game. And it's about how this girl picks up a signal while she was running a her job at this... Uh, basically back in the fifties you had operators who directed your calls everywhere rather than you dialing directly. And this is a person who would direct give you your calls to a certain area. She gets a weird signal and it's most of the movie is about the exploration of where the signal is coming from. in these two people, just these two people, it's a very, it's a claustrophobic movie in a big open landscape. And, um, Though some of the best my quote unquote micro budgeted films are are like that. Um, the movie itself was uh, written by uh, two people, uh, Craig Sanger and uh, excuse me, I'll have to look up who the other one is, uh, Craig Sanger and uh, Andrew Patterson, uh, the director. And there's not a. T- I mean there there's a ton of sc- Dialogue in this movie, and there is a shot at the beginning that is one long extended shot featuring Everett uh, as the centerpiece of it, and it is really uh, it's unusual in a sense that you don't have a shot that follows like this, and it's really the first fifteen minutes of the film are following this guy in a one long extended shot. Um, You don't see that uh because most people can't hold a shot for that long because if someone messes up, you have to go to the beginning it's it's really uh it's a tenuous way to film and the per people who are being filmed on all the extras and this is it's it begins at the start of this basketball game um and it is it is kind of an extended just almost back view of this guy named everett and then eventually Faye joins him. And you, the rest of the movie basically features them, but the opening shot is really unique. And then there's a shot later in the film, which is a tracking shot that, I mean, this is getting in the weeds and I, I hope you will uh, um, kind of indulge me with this, but there's a tracking shot, a very long tracking shot that is sent, uh, ostensibly is a, is, is you're coming from the point of view of following a signal right and it goes throughout this whole town and goes even through this basketball game you could tell that most of the budget was spent on um a couple of big set pieces one of which is this uh basketball game which it doesn't really feature into the actual plot. It's it, it is a set piece, but it's it doesn't feature into the plot. But it's very interesting and it goes through this uh basketball game, and you could tell that most of the budget was spent there because there's a bunch of extras, they have to get period costumes and period uh scoreboards and period technology. So basically, you can tell that most of the budget went there, right? On the side of that though. It's these long, protracted shots that really are the feature of this movie, along with a very subtle storytelling that really builds in creepiness. Um, The creepiness quotient of this movie was extended big time uh, by just the way it was done, and how Andrew Patterson framed these shots going into each of these uh, different scenes. Um, To me, to me, the uh, Sierra McCormick, who plays Faye, did a really good job of holding it. And particularly, she has a quirk, since this is a small town, it's a quirk about her running everywhere she goes, rather than, (laughs) rather than Driving, and that is a features a big, big part of this, and I think that that part is um, kind of like a unique little character item on on the story. Part two of it is the fact that Everett kind of is the the anchor, the reality anchor of this story, and he is the guy that you can tell just is the is the uh, I would say the Scully if we're doing an X-Files kind of analogy of this. Before I get started on the rest of this, I need to do an ad read. Indulge me for a second. Gambling is legal in Colorado, again, well, in a different form. Uh, Sports betting. And most of us who are Colorado residents are used to going to places like Las Vegas and Atlantic City to... Get our sports gambling on if that's what we choose to do. DraftKings is a sports book that is going to it like encourages not only fantasy because people associate fantasy sports with DraftKings and FanDuel. Honestly, DraftKings has come in and set up a tremendous sports book app that is for you who basically, if you're a novice. They will walk you through it, and they offer you a tremendous ability to dip your foot in without having to go travel to a place uh, that, like Vegas or Atlantic City um, to, to bet on sports. And now that it's legal in Colorado, it is so convenient. Uh, these days, the sports landscape is constantly evolving, and this week is no different. Luckily for all of us, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, has this covered. And for a limited time, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering, um, which is a really cool, a, a sign-up bonus of $1,000. Really, I'm not joking, $1,000. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and, call, and use the code MHS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get up a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's code MHS to get your sign-up bonus of up to $1,000, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Bonus comprised of the first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I said there were some issues with the Vast of Night, and they're just... They're kind of like minor issues, and I, I, I hate, it sounds like nitpicking, but there is a section right at the beginning of the film and towards the end of the film where it could have stood to be lighted better. Um, there is a section where they're trying to find out why there's this equipment that's not working right at the beginning, which kind of factors later into uh, the explanation of what's going on in the film, and it is so dark you can't tell who's there. There's voices coming, but it's just, you just can't tell who's talking. And it seems to me that was a function of the limited budget. I mean, lighting is really expensive in movies. Um, and you kind of get the idea that lighting in that particular scene was sacrificed just to kind of keep within budget. Which, you know, look, if you've got someone who's recording. Oklahoma city thunder commercials to finance a movie, um, you're going to be on a shoestring. Um, but at the, on the, just kind of outside of the nitpicking aspect of it, the story's great and it is really creatively done. And it reminds me of Halloween in that sense. And it's kind of like a cross between, uh, an old 50s sci-fi film and Halloween. Um, John Carpenter, as many of you will probably know if you've listened to my movie podcast, is a brilliant director, particularly when he is facing a budgetary restriction. And it's primarily... I keep saying primarily, but... <laughs> it is because he knows how to film. A lot of people who are on on very small, budgeted films are that way because they're not very good directors. right? John Carpenter is a, a very good director who knows how to film. A lot of his shots are Panavision or widescreen, and they are long-establishing shots, but they kind of do a thing to where you think that the movie is has more money invested into it than it is. It's kind of a psychological thing. Um, I, I think the best examples of him doing that were on Halloween and Prince of Darkness. Um, Prince of Darkness was a $3 million film in 1987 that essentially was set up an entire world without... And then you realize that it's just basically two locations and only a little bit of a second location. It really is a one-location film. This is very similar. Um, this uh, film, to me, while I think it's probably more owed more to Linklater, uh, this is a Carpenter-esque film. Um, very good at deceiving you into thinking that this budget is better. Plus, the acting is good. Um, let's face it, most low-budgeted films are, are plagued with ropey acting. Um, the actors in this are all... I think, but primarily, primarily, Jake Horowitz and Sierra McCormick, who play Everett and Faye, are really good. Um, and they sell the movie. You know, when you think about any sci fi film at its face, it's ridiculous. But if you can sell the film, that's really on the, the, uh, actors. I mean, if it's un, it's an unconvincing script, I can see how that can like even as much as an, an actor sells it, it can really be victimized by a poor script. But really, on an in a movie like this where you you essentially have a actor dependent because it's basically two people, an actor dependent movie, they have to do the hard work of selling. Particularly, like I said, Sierra McCormick who played Faye. Her character is really well-developed, and it's primarily due to her. Um, She is very good at selling her character. The guy who plays Everett is the anchor. She is the one everything floats around. She's the orbiting moon. And it is really interesting how the, the dynamic of the two plays out to what is, I really do believe, is a genuinely eerie and creepy ending to this movie. Their ability to sell this film is what this movie hinges on, along with uh, Andrew Patterson's ability to film and direct these things, because it is it is a combination of those th- three things. Like I said, there's some issues with this movie, and some people don't like heavy dialogue. And the first 20 minutes of the movie is just all dialogue. It's a tracking shot. Um. Behind, basically, Everett. And it is a long stretch. And some people will not like that. I per- I thought it was great. I thought it was just really unique, and I loved it. And I watched it. My family members, they all liked it, too. But a lot of people maybe not don't like a lot of dialogue. But the establishment of this, and then moving past that into Faye and Everett's experience, discovering the signal, and... Maybe discovering something is is a journey. And they're a special shout out to two other people who, one of which, a guy who uh, is called Billy in the film, um, he uh, is just a voice. This guy named by an actor by the name of Bruce Davis. All you hear is his voice, but he sets up the really big creepiness. Really big creepiness of the film. And Gail, uh, what's her name? Gail Cronauer, who plays Mabel, is the one who gives us the f- sci fi element of it and really sets that up. Um, and those two are special shout out because they had to, they were the, basically, since they, they weren't, at, they were in place of the things that you can't see. They re- represented the unknown. Even though they were straight characters, they represented the unknown, and they sold it really well. Just like um, uh, Sierra and uh, Sarah McCormick and Jake Horowitz did as uh, Everett and Faye. and it was just all came together in a really genuinely eerie and creepy ending to this film. I highly recommend it. I, <laughs> it's been a lot while since I've been able to look at a film and say, "You did a lot with little." And those movies tend to be the ones that stay with you. Once again, like I said with Halloween, Halloween was a movie that did a lot with a very little. And you could even say that, and, and mostly, most, you look at it this way, horror movies lend themselves to, to low budgeted films. Um, there's very few that really do it well. But this is a science fiction film, and those are a little more esoteric and they're harder to sell. This one did a really good job. Um, And I have no idea why it sat around for four years in order to get finally distributed. Uh, Because to me, it was probably the best movie I saw in 2020. Obviously, we haven't seen much because of the coronavirus situation. But to me, it was something that I really enjoyed and I will watch repeatedly. It's not for everyone. Not everyone will like the exposition-heavy first part. Not everyone will like some of the lighting choices at the beginning. But if you stick with it and you really persevere, this is a movie that will reward you. Uh, Because it's one that you just have to enjoy the journey of the experience. And movies that do that and movies that really that give you a, a a ride without having to use a ton of special effects are the movies that you will come back to over and over because those are the timeless movies. Even though this movie was set in like the late 50s, this is a timeless movie. This is a movie that you don't have to rely on a ton of CGI, um, which, let's face it, has always been a bit on the ropey side. Um, you don't have to rely on any of those things in order to get this movie the a tangible nature to it. And that is a tribute to the director and the actors, and and the script. It's just, it's a combination of all of those, and I highly suggest that you watch it. All right, thank you for joining, for joining me on the latest episode two of the Gen X Movie Show. Uh, I will be talking to you soon with another episode of the Mortcast, and I appreciate you joining me. Goodbye.